This morning on First Up, we sent producer Matthew Turnison to find out what will become of Tairawhiti's forestry workers. A lot of people can't get to their jobs. My boss says we got three logging crews and be lucky if one of them can get to work. So what are you going to do? And a Polish woman thinks she might be Madeleine McCann. She believes that she is Madeleine McCann. Of course, at this stage, there is absolutely no evidence to suggest that she is, but she's amassed a following of almost 500,000 people on her account who are sort of gripped and wondering if it is her. Download First Up the podcast or join me, Nathan Radade, live from five weekday mornings on RNZ National. All alone, I have cried. Silent In a world made of steel, made of stone Where I hear the music, close my eyes, feel the rhythm Wrap around, take a hold of my Flash Dance is 40 years old. As the New York Times said, the 1983 movie Flash Dance still circulates in our cultural memory, loved and mocked and recognised, even by people who never saw the film. And beyond dance, much of the movie's staying power comes from the soundtrack, especially Michael Cimbello's Maniac, You're a Maniac, and what a feeling, Georgia Moroda, sung by Irene Cara, Cara and uh, around the panel here, who was of the flash dance generation? Yes, yes. Yeah, I used to, uh, you know, sit back on the chair and throw a bucket of water on myself. Yep, as you would. Oh, look, yeah. can I, I think on Fridays you normally have rock ballads, don't you? Power can can I sort of always just come on a Friday to sure. <laughs> partake it, of It's just a bit tinny and cheesy and I'm I'm a bit more acdc and Are you now? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not an maybe. either or, it's a both and. Maybe, we, both and. maybe we should have <laughs> Power Rock Mondays for you, Sally Winley. Oh, give But it anyway, a look, Flash Dance, uh, look, I am absolutely... 40 years uh, old. 40 years old Flash Dance, so, and yet here we are still... Um, talking about it. There is a huge response here. There is no excuse for children to be taken out of school for overseas holidays or whatever. There's plenty of time in school holidays for that sort of thing. The school curriculum absolutely comes first. It is arrogant of parents like your panellists to think that they can provide something more beneficial to their children than that. It's no wonder we are so poor at maths. If you miss a concept because of absence, because Wade Jackson has taken the kids, kids overseas, then you've got another thing coming. Now, Wallace, and I'd agree. I think, I'd agree with you, Margot, <laughs> actually. I'd like to look at some of your other responses too and see who does actually agree with 
being allowed out of school. With its, can, I, can I just come over there and look over your shoulder and how, read them out? How much did you remember from school? Here's though? one. How Wallace, much do you use? Wallace, we didn't haul our kids out of school. They came willingly. <laughs> yeah. I'm a oh, teacher, dear. and the worst part is when a child is away so much, they fall behind. We have to try and catch them up, and then the parents want to know why they aren't where they should be. And that is what we're talking about, right? Well, I think parents need to understand and take responsibility for that. You're on the panel on RNZ National. We have Sally Wenley, Wade Jackson this afternoon. Thank you very much for uh, your responses today. Now, New Zealand students will be uniting once again to demand climate justice next Friday, the 3rd of March. And this time they are calling on adults to join them too as the climate crisis threatens everything they love and everyone's collective home, they say. Now, earlier today, National MP Maureen Pugh said that she has yet to see the evidence that humans have contributed to climate change. It's not what I think, it's what I can prove, uh, Maureen Pugh said. She said, look, um, saying a lot of the damages, especially in Auckland, was because people weren't allowed to prune the trees and manage them. Uh, with us this afternoon is Oscar Compton. Oh, by the way, she's regretted that comment. She's walked it back, and both Nicola Willis and Chris Luxon strongly rebuffed that, and Pew has since, as I said, uh, walked back on her comments. With us is Oscar Compton-Mowen, one of the organisers. Oscar, kia ora. Kia ora. Hey, now, this, I mean, this... This ferocious climate event, the human costs, financial costs, yet to be fully known, will this give the next climate march renewed impetus, do you think? Yeah, I think it's massive. Um, What's happening in the North Island is just, it's devastating, to be honest. And I think everyone has taken it, has noticed that, and they really want to stand up to what is happening and take action on the issues that is climate change. So I think we will have this renewed sort of, this new fire within us that this really matters now and this issue is not it's not something that's going to happen but it's something that is happening now and it's something that we need to take action on right now. Can I just, before our panellists jump in, can, can I just bring to your attention, Oscar, those comments because they're pretty timely. It happened this afternoon and she's since uh, apologised, regretted it. National MP Maureen Pune saying, look, she is yet to see evidence that humans have contributed to climate change. If, if you, if Maureen was with us, today having a discussion what would you say to her i think it's really sad that that politicians aren't recognizing what is happening to us as a generation and and to the world i think it's undeniable now the evidence that climate change does exist we've seen it in the past few weeks the science is there it's the debate is now about how we take action and doing it right now it shouldn't be on whether climate change is real climate change is real there's no denying that we've seen that So now it's about taking action instantly. All right, Sally. Oscar, I agree agree with you. I think I'm from the polluters generation. Um, I was very ignorant, and now I look at some of the practices, and, yeah, it's just a big shame. However, that's what it was. If you had the opportunity, what do you think the first thing the government should do to try and... You know, just stop. Well, you can't stop yet, but what's the, what should be the priority for climate change for the government? I honestly think their priority should be stopping um, fossil fuel mining and exploration. I think that contributes a huge amount to our, um, our pollution as a country. While it might not be our biggest contributor, it's an easy place to start. 
And by moving to more sustainable energy sources, we can provide lots of jobs at the same time, which is a massive boost to the economy. Um, and we'll not make that much of an impact on our livelihoods, but we'll have a big impact on climate change as a whole. Right. Also, you've got some uh, older people here in the studio kind of uh, complain that the kids are out of school. You're going to be doing a strike during school hours uh, at 2 o'clock, so shouldn't you be in school or should you be doing activities such as this? Yeah, so our strikes are actually at 3 o'clock. We've moved them to try and uh, reduce the disruption on the school day. There but, you go, Wade. Uh, it says 2 o'clock. Yeah, there you go, Wade. At, <laughs> at the same time, however, we do think that climate change is probably the biggest issue facing our generation. And while we're in education 200 days of the year, um, it's really important that we stand up and fight for our future. We think being part of this group is a massive educational opportunity for students. Um, we learn a lot by hearing different perspectives. Um, and obviously, if we don't have a planet to live on in the future by not taking action, then as good as education is, what's the point? We need to have a future to fight for. We need to have a future to learn for. We need to have a future to make sure that it's even there in the first place. No, I'm yeah, with, you, with you, Oscar. Yeah, Oscar, we've had people on the panel uh, it truly, as, as all are just really shocked by these events. And um, as I was saying to Sally, you know, it's hit many parts of the country, be it north and Coromandel, Tairawata, Hawke's Bay, you know, in that massive inundation, parts of inner city Auckland, for example, Greylin, Epsom, very hit hard, Māori, you know. Um, we had a panellist on. Uh, a week ago said, look, enough is enough. Uh, Cindy said she wants politicians to speak with one voice at last. Are you confident what you're hearing from politicians in New Zealand that that is happening and that will happen? Honestly, I don't think the politicians are doing a great job of representing us at the moment. I think they represent a profit over people model and we really want them to stand up for everyone, especially those that are the most vulnerable to the effects of climate change. We want them to take action. We want them to listen to um, especially the younger generations that will be the most implicated by this. Um, we're the ones that are the most passionate about it, so we really think they should listen to us. All um, right. Yeah, sorry, Oscar, keep going. And that's also one of our demands, which will be making the voting age 16. We want to get youth engaged in politics. We want to have more civic education. And we want our, our democracy to be more representative of the population. Interesting. Okay, so that's one of our five demands, uh, lowering the voting age yeah. to 16. Very interesting stuff. What's, what's, um, oh, by the way, people are asking where can they find out more about the climate strike? Yeah, so we mainly use social media. So we've got an Instagram, which is um, School Strike for Climate NZ. And we've got a Facebook group, which is also School Strike for Climate NZ. Um, and on that, we post all the details of our strikes. Uh, we've currently got 10 around the country, and we're hoping to have more cities pop up. Um, and, yeah, I'd, just, I'd head to our, our social media to find out more. Very good to have you on the program, Oscar, and thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much. That is Oscar Compton-Mowen. He is one of the organisers uh, of the next climate justice strike. It's next Friday, the 3rd of March. And I get a sense, Sally, I don't know about you, but uh, 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 the, the la previous marches were pretty big, but this one could be quite significant. Definitely. And Oscar, what a great thing to do to make it a higher profile for old farts and young people. So I think good on them and it's going to be huge.
All right. Uh, with us this afternoon is Sally Winley and Wade Jackson on the panel. Still the, uh, someone says Oscar for Prime Minister. Uh, uh, yeah. And uh, they keep on rolling in uh, the issues around whether or not you should take kids out of school for holidays. I'm a parent, grand teacher and ex-teacher. Overseas travel is actually very educational and does not hinder children's education. I think that people who believe children only learn in the classroom are really quite ignorant says Ross. It is 15 to 5. You're on the panel on RNZ National uh, and wonderful to have your company as always. Now, this might not be an issue for all regions, of course, but the concept of rethinking and redesigning how we deal with water in events like we've seen has become critical. And last week we talked with engineering consultant Andres Roa, who got quite a bit of response about this idea of an open stormwater concept. So, for example, in parts of Takanini, he had designed an open stormwater system where water drains along swales, as they're called. You've got these wide grassy channels built into street berms and then they collect and recharge pits and a few people got in touch saying oh well we do this and listener Sharon in Waipu joins us, uh, Waipu uh, North and there, Sharon, great to have you on the panel Hi Wallace How are you today? Can you hear us Sharon? Hello yeah, Can you hear us? We okay. might Yeah, Sharon Yep. Sharon, you're on Waipu there. You're on the panel. Can, can you hear me? I can. Yep. Lovely. Okay, so you said you have swales where you live. Tell us about that. Well, when we shifted to or looked at shifting to Waipu, we looked at, at this new subdivision, and one of our concerns was it's very close to the Waipu River, which branches just by us, and whether it was going to be floodproof. And we looked at the plans, and it's a one-in-1,000-year flood protection with a system of swales. The whole subdivision is constructed so that any water flows sort of back down the subdivision into the swales and then into the floodplain. And how did it work? It's worked brilliantly. Our next-door neighbour is actually a drainage expert, and I was talking to him about it, and he said it, they worked absolutely perfectly, absolutely as they were intended to do. And so they've got attenuation, or, you know, like drainage ponds down on the floodplain as well, which adds ah. the protection. So, um, yeah, we, we didn't feel threatened at all, and we've got the Waipu River branches in two right beside us, so... Yeah. One of the, because one of the things that Andres said, and I, I found quite interesting, Sharon, was you might have a, the, the best stormwater system in the world, but the issue is it's actually quite simple. It does come back to blockage and things getting blocked in drains, and that will be with, um, you know, um, just leaf and that matter of that sort. But when you have these swales, these wide grassy channels, he said that that is less of an issue, Sharon. Yeah, and that's exactly for us. And interestingly, our neighbours, they actually ended up with her, their sister and brother-in-law come because over in Rothsyth Road, which is also in Waipu, their culverts were blocked. And even with a digger, they couldn't clear them. And the water came up so quickly, they had to evacuate. So um, we had none of that. A swale, does it have a cover over the top? No, it's just, um, it's like a walkway. But 
the houses are raised maybe more than a metre to the side of it. So it's like a dip, and then it just has a walkway through the middle. But you can't plant or anything, so it's all open. Oh, I see. So I was going to ask, what about when autumn comes and the leaves? So it's totally grass. It's grass. Yeah, some yeah. people have maybe flax or um, you can, but um, oh. yeah, you can't build things in it. You know, it's got to be open so the water just runs through it. And that was, uh, and that was, uh, uh, and that was actually designed that way, wasn't it? The, that that open grass with that dip, yeah. it was designed yeah. to perform this very function, right? Yeah, and it divides the houses. So um, there's one that's got no path, but the kids all play on it because it's nice, like grassy area between houses. So with banks on either side, and then nice flat bit in the middle for the kids to play. So additional um, community play area as Interesting. well. Interesting. So it serves a second purpose. So how often would it actually have a flow of water in it? Um, well, this year, quite often, really, because yeah. there's pretty torrential rain up here in Northland. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not the norm, but certainly it does. So, yeah. So what Trent says, what has been described in Waipu is a practice called water-sensitive design. So this is a shout on the back of our engineering consultant, Andres Roa, who designed swales and open stormwater systems in Takanini. Uh, Wade, do you have a question? I'm just wondering, actually, here's an example for for us, perhaps, because we, we do need more intensification. So if you look at intensification in, say, parts of Auckland, maybe uh, build in these grassy areas with dips to sort of uh, manage the water better. I mean, is it something that you can just... Other houses who don't have them now, is it something they would just have to put in or, like, would council... I don't make... know. Sharon, any ideas? Oh, yes, because our whole subdivision was designed like that. It had been farmland, so it's got to be a minimum of three metres above the um, river, and then we're even higher again than that. So it was all designed as a new subdivision that way. All very interesting. Hey, well, go go well, uh, Sharon, and um, you live in a most wonderful part of the country, Waipu area there. So, yeah, and just fine before you go... um, how Northland has been pretty pretty hard hit. How has the community been faring? Um, well, relatively speaking, we had quite a short period without power, internet, all those things. It's the main damage has been wind damage for us actually, uh, and slips. Yep. And we've had a lot of roads out, so a lot of repairs going on around up here. So, yep. All right. Very good. Nice we're, to have we're you here. Off the North Bay, so. Yeah, sure. Kia ora, Sharon. Thank you. That's Sharon and Waipu there. Uh, yeah, the point of a swale is that it can be kept mown. It has shallow, rounded angles. Uh, and back to school. Taking kids out of school, just please stop with the guilting. Recently, we forced almost all kids to stop going to school and learned we could educate them remotely. Uh, oh, they just keep on coming. I just lost that. That's Machine's quite busy today. Anyway, very much uh, loving your response this afternoon. We have Sally Wenley and Wade Jackson with us uh, today. And in times like these, we do look for ports in that storm, don't we? And that port today was the fact that Tairawhiti Museum opened its doors yesterday. And I understand the cafe opened today. And you may well be slammed with the clean-up, but there could be a window to take yourself or the kids for some time out to the local museum. And with us is Eloise Wallace, the director of Kaifakahare at Tairawhiti Museum. Eloise, great to have you on. Kia ora. 
Kia ora, kia ora. Lovely to be on. Yeah, afternoon. thank you, Eloise. And first, can I ask you, how did the museum itself fare? Well, we are so relieved and grateful that the museum got through um, the cyclone OK. It was a sleepless night, and we're right next to the banks of the Tarukiri River, yeah. uh, and it rose high, but, but the building was okay, and when I came in in the morning, it was just a big relief to see that all of the Taonga, all our community treasures here were, were all safe and dry. Which is quite remarkable when you think about it, because and you've uh, the the museum's been posting images of what's been happening uh, around you, and there is so much activity. The task ahead, I've got to say, Eloise, looks simply enormous. Oh, look, you're right. It's just been a shocker of a week, you know. Um, but there's just amazing mahi happening across our community. Mm. Like everyone's just coming together to help each other get through it, and. And, you know, pockets of the city are okay and other parts really badly hit. So, Mm. you know, our hearts are going out as well to Tairawhiti, rural communities, Gisborne, um, Hawke's Bay, Wairau, you know, people that have been really badly hit. So we're okay at the museum and we're ready just to swing in and help our community as well, particularly around how to salvage and care for taonga photographs that may have been damaged. What sort of community treasures do you have in your museum? Well, the the museum's been been operational for for a long time, and so we hold many of the um, we hold art collections, Taonga Māori carvings, cloaks, uh, photographs, glass plate negatives, archives. You know, all of the all of the gathered gathered memories of our our communities over generations. So we're quite well prepared in museums. We think about disaster planning a lot and Mm. how to ensure that we're caring in the long term. So when we're okay, we then think, oh, what about those taonga that are out of the community that we can can bring some afi and support to people uh, in, in need. And you spoke about people bringing their taonga in. Oh, gosh, what sort of um, taonga are you expecting people to bring in to ask for advice to repair? Well, it's still early days. We're still um, getting, you know, communications are still establishing around around the region to find out where the needs are. But, for example, yesterday a lady brought in a car boot full of um, you know, muddy clumps of her family photographs, which are all she could salvage from her house. So we were able to give some advice. We put some guides up online. But, you know, I'm here, my team's here, ready to just help give that in-person advice because we know that when we've got no internet, a website is worse than useless. So just come in and come in and see us if you need some help. Wait, special exhibits on at the moment? Yes, well, we did have an exhibition that we were going to get up on Friday. That hasn't quite happened, um, but we've got some other lovely exhibitions up, and it's just we're just maybe a place that's a bit calm and relaxing, and, and just come and take some time out, have a walk around, enjoy the art, um, spend some time with your whanau, and we've got free Wi-Fi set up. We've got the cafe operational again. Our cafe manager has sourced some eggs, so she's done some fresh baking. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we've got we've got all you need here. So, just come in if you need to. We just you know welcome welcome people in our community and with open arms. Very good. And what about the Star of Canada? This is uh, this is the boat you have there, the ship that was wrecked on rocks on the Gisborne coast, nineteen twelve. What of that? Well, the Star of Canada. If you look at our photos online, there was a, a lot of water down the river and under the star, and quite a lot of water kind of blew into the structure itself, but we had a 
structural engineer pop around today and he's given us the all clear to open again. And we're just really glad that the river we stand on is not a slash. We don't get a lot of slash down the Taruhiru. Otherwise, it could have been a really different story with that, you know, collecting up under the piles that are holding the ship in place. So... That's one, one indeed. Relief. Well, that's been a bit of an issue across, uh, as you might know, uh, RNZ and Sally Wenley here. That was who I've been thinking. Uh, slash, no doubt, is one of the top issues uh, in Gisborne. It, it is. Look, I think uh, Slash is a curse word here inside Arpati. Mm. So ask any Gisborne person and you won't be able to stop us talking about it. So it's, it's made a terrible situation worse. I'm no expert, but I've seen it in the rivers and, and seen it on the properties and, and, and seen the damage it's done here. Well, I've been to Tarawhiti Museum. I'd love to go again. It's a fantastic museum. Um, uh, keep up the great work, Eloise, and thanks for being with us. Thanks thanks for the time to, to chat, and um, best wishes to, to everyone out there across yeah. the Tarawhiti and um, along the East Cape. Really cool. Eloise Wallace there, Director Kaifakahari at Tired after the museum. Uh, so um, yes, back to really the start of the show. Uh, something has got to happen. Yes, slash uh, once the and slash. for all, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, we had quite a bit of response regarding slash. The bottom one third of the hill doesn't get harvested. Only harvest the top thirds. The two top third. The top two thirds. This leaves the bottom third to stop any slash getting to the waterways, and also native forest would grow and eventually cover the bottom third. I imagine that the. I think that's what Gary Taylor from the Environmental Defence Society said that practices uh, used overseas would have to be looked at here. Yes, and why not plant native trees around that bottom part instead of pines? Because they're all being blown over anyway in the cyclone. Good on you. All right, Sally Winley, Wade Jackson uh, today. Thank you both. Fantastic. I'm Wallace Chapman. I will see you tomorrow, 3.45. Stay tuned to RNZ Checkpoint with Lisa Owen next.